The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So I'm not a big movie guy. Um, people that are part of the, the team and my friends, like they've, they know that. So if you're around me very long, you've figured that out because, uh, you know, guys like to quote movies and guys like to talk about movies and plots and subplots and characters and quote stupid lines to each other and I never know what's going on. Every now and then they'll mention a movie like, hey, that's one I have watched. But usually they start talking about movies and they start quoting and my eyes kind of glaze over and I kind of check out. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Burton and I, we've, uh, we, we used to meet weekly um, and we still get together very regularly, but he's busy and He's big time now, and he's bigger than I am, and I can't get an appointment with him anymore. But, but back in the day when he wasn't quite as important, we would get together every week, and we would hang out. And there was another dude that was a part of our, our deal. And Burton and I, we're kind of like, we love sports, and uh, particularly we were like fantasy football, I don't know, nerds, geeks, losers, whatever term you want to use for that. And like, so this time of season, this time of year, like he and I would start talking about football and about fantasy football, and we would like get all into it, and we would, wouldn't even realize, like we'd go on like 30 minutes or longer, and we'd realize like, hey, we left Jeremy behind. He's just sitting there. He's kind of an artsy guy, and uh, was, you know, he wouldn't know movies, but he wouldn't know anything about football, didn't care anything about it. And, and uh, but but I am I am a big sitcom guy. I, I think it's a dying art form. Nobody wants to say that they. It's sort of like McDonald's. Nobody wants to admit they watch sitcoms, but they're on TV all the time. So somebody must be watching. Like sort of like McDonald's. Like I've heard Jim Gaffigan say, like nobody ever wants to admit they eat McDonald's, but they sell 14 billion hamburgers a day. So somebody in this room is lying about that. You know? Have you ever been, like? I heard it mentioned, like, you ever hear somebody, like, mention, like, hey, I went to McDonald's? You know, you, the, the people around you kind of look at you and say, oh, I didn't know I was better than you. And, <laughs> but but I, I am a, I think, you know, maybe, maybe sitcoms are sort of the McDonald's of TV. I don't know. But uh, Meg thinks they're stupid. She won't watch them with me. Uh, she thinks they're a waste of time. And they, they probably are. But, but I enjoy them. Like, I really love The Office uh, I loved Seinfeld, which uh, felt really old. Uh, John was over at our house a f- couple months ago, and he's like, I've heard of this old classic TV series called Seinfeld, but I've never seen it before. And, uh, I-, I hear it's kind of funny, and I'm like, how in the world can you be an, a- an American and not know what Seinfeld? I-, I, can't, I, can't even- I-, I had one sitcom, I- one season I lent to him, but I digress. Anyway, I love, I love Seinfeld and community and uh, the office and sitcoms like that. And I really get into that. And if, if, and, but have you ever like heard somebody maybe at work or friends and they start talking about a movie, talking about sports, talking about a TV series that they watch and you've never seen it? It's sort of like they're speaking a different language than you are. Like they, and then they tried to explain to you, like, this show was on last night, and, you know, this character said to this character, and they did this, and they did this, and you're like... That sounds terrible. Like, that sounds stupid to me. I, I don't get it. it it's secondhand. It, re- it rarely is able to translate because you, you haven't seen the sitcom. You don't understand the gags and the characters and the subplots and the plots and what's going on. You don't get it. And Christianity is kind of like that. Sometimes if you're from outside of the camp, 
and you hear people talking like Christian talk, you come to church or you hear a couple of Christians talking to each other, it can sound like a whole nother language. Like it's difficult to get, like to, to lock into what they're talking about. If maybe if you're not a Christian here, maybe you're like, yeah, that's kind of my experience. Or maybe like some of us in here remember what it was like not to be a Christian and you are around other Christians or you visit church and you hear people talking. You don't quite understand. Like when they talk about Jesus, they talk about the cross, they talk about, they sing the songs that we were singing like, you know, Blessed Trinity. And, you know, they're talking about like, the, the, uh, they're talking about a gruesome thing. Like a man was nailed onto a wooden cross after he was, terribly scourged and beaten and he was bleeding and he was almost dead when they hung him up and and they died on the cross and they pierced his side with a spear and blood and water came out and you're like that sounds like a terrible terrible story but the people around you they hear it and they're talking about it and they're singing about it isn't that kind of weird in itself we're singing about a man who was brutally murdered and hung on a tree and it doesn't quite connect sometimes. Or sometimes like we, if you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you've kind of forgotten how it sounds to the people who are outside. We said last week, let's just own the elephant in the room, that the story that we believe, the reason that we are gathered here this morning is a pretty crazy, pretty outlandish, pretty incredibly foolish story. It's a gruesome story. It starts with bad news. It says that you and I were sinful and separated from the maker, who the God who made us. And without being reunited to him, we were doomed to not only eternal separation from him, but eternal conscious torment forever. That's a pretty bad news story to begin with. And then we say, and the answer to this problem was that, see, you owed God this debt because of your sin that you had committed and that you had not only had you committed, but you inherited from your great, 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 great grandpappy Adam going far back. And somehow just like you inherited like straight hair or bushy hair or you inherited like, you know, like, like. Kramer likes to talk like some taco meat that comes out of your shirt as a guy or you're like some other guys and like we had trouble you know, proving that we're a man because, you know, it's kind of slick there. Like whatever it is that you inherit, inherit big feet, a big nose, foul breath, like not, you, you have hair on your head, you don't have hair, you got curly hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, like whatever it is that makes up you, like you inherited it. Like, like not only are you, the sins that you committed, but the sins that you somehow inherited down the nature that you inherited down from your grandfather's grandfather, grandfather, grandfather before you. Like, that's a weird story to start off with. And that then the answer to that was that gruesome murder that we were talking about. That Jesus was somehow 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Like, he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, God in the flesh, then died a death that was somehow a substitution for you that he stood in the place for you, the debt that you owed, he took that upon himself. Like, that's a crazy story. Last week, we talked about how not only was that a crazy story, but that God had designed it in such a way that he would attract the ugly and the foolish to himself. 
we talked about the, the who and the why of salvation. We said that the, the church is the bride of Christ, and the only way that you enter into the bride of Christ is through believing in the ugly and foolish story of the cross. And only ugly and foolish people get in through that door because, because if you think that you're like self-sufficient, that you got it all together, that you're good, like, you, like, you, like no thank you, I've kind of got this, then you don't see any need for help or need for a savior. If you don't understand that the God who created you, who you, who you were created by and who you were created for, he didn't just like create you and like spin you off into existence. Like he created you and you, you were created for him, that you were created to be attached to him, to, to know him, to be in relationship with him and that when that is removed that you're somehow lost and floating out there and that, and that there was nothing in you that was beautiful and desirous of, it, of itself that he picked you and plucked you, if you were a believer in Christ today, he picked you and he plucked you when you were ugly and foolish and away from him. And that the only way that you can come back to him is to own the fact that you're ugly and foolish. Kind of like if you've ever been riding with your husband or boyfriend, and I guess maybe it's not such a deal now because we have GPS, but maybe just remember a couple of years ago, if you're riding with your dad or your husband or your boyfriend and he doesn't wanna ask for directions, or maybe it's like with my wife and I and we're in a store and I don't know where something is, like to me, it's part of the fun is finding the thing that I don't know what it is. Like going in the store, I hate going in the store, I shop everything online that I possibly can, but if I have to go in an actual store, it's part of like the hunter-gatherer, like the explorer thing, I wanna get in there and find the thing. Meg would rather like get out the easy way and stop and ask somebody that works there where the product is. That just takes part of the, the fun out for me. But, but it may be you're the person, you're with that person, you get irritated because they, they won't admit the fact that they don't know what they're looking for, where it is. And you cannot get unlost until you admit the fact that I don't know where I am. You can't find the product in Walmart if for some godforsaken reason you find yourself in that desert place, <laughs> if you're in the middle of Walmart and you cannot find what you're looking for, you cannot find it unless you finally admit, I don't know where it is. I need to ask somebody. And you can't admit, you can't come to Christ until you admit that you're lost. Until you admit that apart from him, apart from him, that you You've lost the thing that you were made for, the one that you were made for. It's, a, it's a, not only an ugly and a foolish people that are the one that are the requirement to enter salvation. That's the, the who and the why of salvation we touched on last week. We said it's so God gets all the glory. The reason it's from an ugly story and he calls an ugly and a foolish, a lost people to himself is so that he gets all the glory. None of us at the end of the day say, hey, you know what? I was smart enough. I was, had it together enough. I was, I was cool enough. I was good enough to find my way in. We talked about how the story, it all, at the same time, it, it alienates, at first glance, it alienates the religious, the good people. Maybe there are some of us in this room, we're the good people. Like we live morally upright lives and we're generally, and we, we know this because we're keeping track, we're generally better than the people around us. Like we're a little bit nicer. We obey the, that's why, that's why it gets my goat when I see people disobeying traffic laws because I am obeying the traffic law and they're just zipping around like crazy just like there's no rules. And that's why it gets me because I'm keeping the rules. 
And we're, if you're that kind of person, you're keeping the rules and you know that the people aren't around you and you know that you're coming out better. And then some of us are the, the irreligious. We consider that, that like this, it's just the cross is foolishness. Why would I even need to be reunited to God. So it offends at first glance the people who think we have it together and we're earning our way and offends the ones of us who are just going our own way and we don't want to even think about God or look at God. That's the who and that's the why of salvation. This week in this section that Charles read, Paul is talking about the how of salvation. Verse one of chapter five, oh, chapter two. You guys are like, yay, we're making progress. No, back to two. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible or sensible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, one of the big problems in the church of Corinth was that the Greeks loved wisdom. The Greeks were always seeking after wisdom. They were always looking for that. And so when the, the, the people in Corinth, like Paul came and he preached the gospel and they believed him and the church began and things were going pretty cool and then Paul moves on and the people in the church at Corinth started looking around like at their neighbors and around at their friends and they started realizing like, hey, people around us think that we're crazy. People around us, like we're worshiping, like we're saying that we were sinful, we needed a savior, that a savior came and he died this terrible death and that's, but through belief in that is how we become believers and we are reunited to this God that we cannot see. Like people around us think that we're crazy for that and so the, the Corinthians had tried, started to try to find ways to make it a little bit more palatable to their neighbors and to their friends around them. And I think that we do sometimes, that sometimes in church. I think we as individual believers and that we as a collective church oftentimes are, we fall prey to this, like, this, this, this feeling that around us the people think that we're crazy and so we have to make them think that we're a little less crazy than it is. And so we do that in different ways. Maybe like we want to convince them that, hey, Christians can have fun too, or like, or that, hey, church really isn't boring, like church is cool and fun and so like, and this is, hey, if you're a, a part of a come from a church like this or like this I'm really not saying anything against this in particular but I'm just saying like or we're gonna like we're gonna put in fog machines and we're gonna have an awesome band that like I remember the first time I went to a concert where they where they had like a that they lifted the drummer up and it like spun around the air and I'm like that's awesome and so we say hey if we have like a a, a floating stage with the drummer on it in church like people will think like maybe G the story of Jesus isn't as crazy or if we like put a car on the stage or we have a guy come in on a zip line or the pastor rides in on a motorcycle or he parachutes into the room like maybe somehow that will convince people that Jesus is a little bit cooler than he actually is or the story isn't quite as outlandish as it actually is but the problem is like in the hey no offense if anybody does that but the story is still a crazy story whether I drop in on a zip line or there's fireworks going off behind me it cannot distract from the fact that we're worshiping a crucified savior at the end of the day the story the wisdom that 
that, that is it, what we find in the gospel is a weak wisdom. It's a weak in itself. And that's why Paul says that when he came to them, he didn't come proclaiming to them with lofty speech or wisdom. I can get up and I can be a great orator. Well, I mean, somebody could. Somebody could get up in front of you guys and be a great orator and have flowery words. They could come in and they could wow you with pyrotechnics and a cool audiovisual presentation behind me. And I can be like pop culture savvy and use movie clips or whatever stuff to make you try to convince. But it will that none of that takes away that you still have to believe in a crucified Savior in order to be saved. And that's why Paul said when he came to them, knowing that they that the Greeks held wisdom very high. He said he came to them in weakness and fear and much trembling. He said, I came to you even in a very, very simple way so that you would not get caught up in thinking that Christianity is cool or awesome or makes a lot of sense or isn't at its very nature contemptible to the average mind. And it but it is. We preach a weak wisdom. And there's no way getting around it. And Paul was concerned that by them trying to make Jesus seem cooler or smarter or make a little bit more logical sense to the people outside and around them that they were forgetting the basics of the gospel. And that's what we do. When you and I, when we try to make it make a little bit more sense, and we're gonna get to that in a second. I'm not saying this all nonsensical, but we try to make it be a little bit cooler, be a little less outlandish. We try to make it seem like it's a little less counterculture than it actually is. Then we forget the gospel. And we start to mix in something that is not the gospel in with the gospel, and what you end is no longer the gospel anymore. You can mix, you can have fresh water and mix in a little bit of salt water, and it's not kind of salt water, it is salt water, the very moment that it hits it. It may be less salty, but it's still salt water. And when we try to mix in something outside the gospel in with it to make it seem a little bit easier, a little bit less palatable, like you're not quite as sinful or Jesus wasn't you know, quite as crucified as he was or however we want to soften the story, we lose it. The first of all, he's saying it's a weak wisdom that we proclaim and we proclaim it weakly. That's why, I, that's one of the reasons, I mean, that's one of the reasons we do church the way that we do here. We try to keep things very simple. Because in the end, somebody, we might draw a crowd, and we're not against a crowd. Bring a crowd next week if you like, but we're, we're pro-crowd here, but we, can, we might be able to draw a crowd. But at the end of the day, if people aren't believing in a crucified Savior and coming into a personal intimate relationship with the God for whom they were created and by whom they were created, then we've accomplished nothing. And that's what Paul was concerned about with the Corinthians. Look at verse six. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So he's saying it's, it's not, it's, I'm not just being crazy. We do impart a wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age. 
or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. You know, my son, I love him. Uh, he has a strong, we'll say a strong will. And he does things all the time. And I ask him afterwards, like, Landon, did you know you were going to get in trouble? And he'll say yes. But at the moment that he does it, there's just a disconnect. Like, he would rather just do the thing that he wants to do at that moment and face the consequences later than to actually think about the consequences and weigh them out. Now, now he regrets it down the road, but at that moment, he would rather do that. And we short sell ourselves when we judge the gospel that we believe and the life that God has called you to live by the wisdom of this age because it's doomed to pass away. There's an expiration date on their wisdom. What seems smart and what seems great and what seems awesome around us five years from now Certainly a hundred years from now, most certainly 10,000 years from now will seem to be like crazy foolishness. But we get caught up in the moment thinking like it's really important. The wisdom of this age, the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we, that's Paul, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. See, when not only do we believe a foolish or a weak wisdom, but the story of Jesus is a hidden wisdom. It's not apparent. It's sort of like what I was t- talking about if you've watched a, sh- a show, and Dale and I have watched a show, and we're talking about it, and you come into our conversation, and we try to bring you in, and you've never watched the show, or you're trying to bring me in to talk about a movie that I've never seen before. It's just not going to make sense to me. I can't, the jokes aren't going to be funny. The plot line isn't going isn't to, like, move me. You might have sat in the movie and cried like a baby. Maybe I do that. Maybe that's why I don't go to movies. I sat in a movie and, I cr- and cried like a baby because it moved you, and you try to tell me about the movie. It's not going to move me emotionally because I'm not in there. I'm not in the context. I don't understand. I don't get it. I lack perspective, and that's what the people around us are. Us in our natural mind, we lack the perspective to understand the wisdom, and that's why when we hear it, it sounds like foolishness. Today, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and the, the story of Jesus, it just sounds like kind of crazy talk. Why would people come on a Sunday morning and worship this God, and why would they get all worked up about him and build their lives around him? It sounds like crazy talk to me. It sounds like crazy talk to you because you lack the perspective. It's a hidden wisdom. It isn't obvious We lack the faculties we need to understand. It would be like trying to explain to Landon, my son, how electricity works. He lacks the faculties in order to understand that at this moment. He's four years old. Only thing he can understand is the light light switch is fun to play with, and he gets in trouble when he plays with it. 
He cannot understand how it works. And you and I cannot understand the hidden wisdom of God that he showed, that he's showing us in Jesus Christ if you lack the faculties to understand it. It will only sound like foolishness. That's why there can be whatever, 30-some, 40-some people in this room, and we can hear the story, we can sing the song about a crucified Savior. And for some of us, it brings a tear to our eye and moves us emotionally. And some of us, it doesn't mean anything at all because it's a hidden wisdom. Well, then how does anything happen? Look at verses 10 through 16. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That's how it happens. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even depths of God. He's talking about God's Spirit. He's trying to draw an analogy here. Um, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So he's saying, like, nobody knows what you think, everything that you think and how you work except you. And so the same way, like, only God knows all of his thoughts. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he's saying that the way that, he's he's saying that there are two types of people in the world is what he's saying. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's like, it's like saying the person, like John, before he had never watched Seinfeld, like the, to, to talk about Kramer and talk about, uh, not Justin Kramer, talk about Kramer and talk about the gags to talk about Kenny Rogers' chicken would mean nothing to him, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They can only be, they can only be, comprehended and, and, and accessed if, the, if, if you are a different kind of person. So he's saying there's two types of people. There are those who are merely human, the natural man. And then there are those who are the spiritual, those who have been awake, awakened and enlivened by the spirit of God. The way, if, the, if we are ugly and foolish and the story of the cross is ugly and foolish and it offends the religious and it offends the irreligious, like it kind of leaves us all outside the door, right? It leaves us kind of no hope except the spirit of God comes to you and awakens your heart so that one day the story of Jesus seemed crazy to you and the next moment it stirred your soul and you found him to be your Lord and your Savior, because he awakened you. The Spirit of God breathed upon your soul to give you the ability to taste the sweetness that is found in Jesus. Beforehand, you don't have the faculty and the ability to understand it, to taste it, to, to hear it, to, to smell it, for it to, for it to the, make the synapses in your brain like fire off and say, this is something that's beautiful and amazing. He is glorious and he's worth giving my life to. He's worth bowing down to and com- confessing to him that I am sinful and without hope apart from you and you are all that I have and you are all that I want. Before that happens, 
it doesn't fire, it doesn't make sense, but whenever he breathes upon your soul and the Holy Spirit of God comes and touches you, all of a sudden it tastes sweet. It goes from, as we said before, over and over again here, it goes from you hearing that honey is sweet and you tasting it on your tongue yourself. It's a miracle that the ugly and foolish believe the ugly and foolish story and bow their knee to a crucified, weak Savior and experience life out of that. It's a spiritual wisdom. The difference between those who are merely human and those who have been enlivened and awakened by the Spirit of God is when they hear about God, his nature, and his character, that he is holy. It means nothing to the one who is merely human, but to the one who is spiritual, whose God's Spirit has awakened them to, to see it and to understand it, that is something worth worship. When, they hear, when you hear about the, the state of man that we're sinful and separated from him, when you're merely human, it doesn't mean anything to you, but when you have been awakened to taste it, you feel the weight upon yourself. And then when you hear of the, the person of Jesus, how he came to pay your debt on your behalf that you could not pay, and he rose again and he's coming back, that is all of a sudden beautiful and glorious. The Spirit of God comes and he prepares, he breaks up the dry and hard ground of your heart and he plants a seed there. And then he waters the seed and he empowers the seed to grow up and all of a sudden one, one day, one moment, you didn't believe in Christ and the next moment you did. C.S. Lewis said he got on the train, an atheist, and he got off the train, a Christian, and he doesn't know how that happened. It just happened. He had no new information, no new knowledge that came to him in that ride. Just all of a sudden, the fire came on inside him and it made sense. The light came on. The Spirit of God awakens the sleeping and enlivens the dead. The Spirit of God awakens the sleeping and enlivens the dead, making the truths of the gospel real and beautiful. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that you are, that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. And I pray this morning that the Spirit of God would breathe upon your soul and the, maybe the gospel that you've heard a million times would suddenly become precious and wonderful to you and you would bow your knee to him Confess him to be your Lord and worship him. And maybe you're here today and you're a sleepy Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and your heart hasn't been stirred in a very long time, the story of Jesus. He hasn't been a central part to you. You've kind of tried to, tried to relegate him to a corner of your life to keep him safe there, to try to be like the Corinthians and make him a safe, nice Jesus, make him a, a popular Jesus, make him a Jesus that doesn't demand my, all of my life and all of my worship and all of my praise. He doesn't demand me to bow my knee to him and build my life around him. He doesn't demand of me that, that, I, that I identify myself with him more than I do my job or my family or, my, or my, where I live or my friends or how good I look or how bad I look or how great I feel or how athletic I am. If I, 
Maybe you tried to make him that Jesus. And I pray this morning he would come and he would awaken you from your sleep. And that you would see him for the beautiful one that he is. And you would give him all your heart, all your worship, all your love, all your devotion. And he would discover the beautiful joy and peace that it is to know him. I say joy and peace, I don't mean like he's gonna give you a million dollars and your car's never gonna run out of gas and things are gonna go great for you. I'm saying that you will discover something deeper than those things, the one for whom you're created. A few implications and we're done. If the spirit of God does come and he awakens the sleeping and he enlivens the dead and he therefore makes the truths of the gospel real and beautiful to you and to me, then that takes the last bit of boasting from our hands. Not only were we ugly and foolish, but the message was ugly and foolish to us. And the only way that we came to believe it is that he breathed upon our souls to make it make sense. He gave you a taste where you had no taste buds before. It also means that it makes, it means that our message will not, will not sound any less foolish than Paul's. That means when we proclaim this on Sunday morning or you tell people that you're a Christian, they ask you what that means at work or your friends or your neighbors or the gym or whatever, wherever you find yourself and they ask you what does that mean and you describe this story to them, it's not gonna sound any less foolish to them than it did to Paul's hearers in his day. It also means that the hope for our friends and our neighbors and our family members isn't in a slicker communication of the gospel. It isn't in a a better show on Sunday morning or that you get better and better at communicating it and one day you'll be able to convince them. It means that it rests upon you and I in our weakness, in our frailty, conveying the weak and frail story about a weak and frail savior who is coming back the Lord of all and he, by miracles, will cause them to believe. will bring life where there once was dead. He will awaken those who were sleeping. It doesn't mean that our faith isn't rational. It makes rational sense. It just means that we lack the natural rationale to understand it. Like, like the illustration I gave with, with land and electricity It's not electricity doesn't make sense, it just doesn't make sense to him. And one day, he'll be able to comprehend it. And that's what happens when you become a believer. God gives you the ability to comprehend it, the ability to see it for the lovely, beautiful thing that it is. It also means that we should be patient and loving and humble when somebody doesn't get it. When you're talking to a friend or a neighbor and you explain the story to them and they don't get it, understand that you were there too. There was nothing in your spiritual repertoire that helped you to understand it, that made you sharp, a sharper tact than they are. We humbly and lovingly and patiently love them. And the last thing, it means that we should boldly convey the truth. 
in fear and much trembling. Like Paul said, he came to the Corinthians and he proclaimed the gospel in fear and much trembling. It means that we do the same thing, that we meekly and humbly convey the truth to the people around us and God breathes upon that message and draws people to himself. The Spirit of God awakens the sleeping and he enlivens the dead. He makes the truths of the gospel real and beautiful. And because of that, it, we have no reason to boast in ourselves. And that means when somebody comes to become a believer, like it's a miracle that has happened. And every one of us in this room, if you became a believer, a miracle happened in your heart that's greater than if God raised somebody out of the grave today, out of a funeral home today, because you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin, and he breathed upon you and brought you to life. And because of that, we want to be a people that are standing with our mouths open, aghast at the amazing things that God is doing in our midst, the amazing things that God is doing in my heart, the amazing thing God is doing in your heart, and the amazing thing God is doing in, as he calls the, my neighbors and my friends and my coworkers to faith when he breathes upon their heart and makes the foolish story suddenly precious and beautiful to them that we just stand back aghast, our mouths open, amazed at what God is doing, to be wowed by what he is doing in our midst because it is only, it is what he alone could do. And therefore, he gets all the glory and all the praise. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.